Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. Before we begin, a reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information is provided as a guide only. With that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. I reckon investors could be forgiven for looking back on the pandemic years of 2020 and 2021 with somewhat fond memories, almost perversely, because after the initial shock in February and March of 2020, when share markets fell about 35%, It was actually a period of relatively strong returns and relative calm in investment markets. This year, of course, has been anything but. Share markets fell sharply into their mid-June lows. US shares, in fact, fell 24% over that period. Australian shares fell 16%. Then we had a nice rally into mid-August, reversing half of the prior declines. Of course, since then, markets have given up those gains. That rally was on the back of hopes the Fed would pivot towards an easier monetary policy stance and hopefully avoid a recession. Since then, of course, the Fed has done no such thing and, if anything, become more hawkish. So share markets have fallen sharply. And, of course, bond yields have pushed up again with US, UK and German 10-year bond yields rising to levels not seen in a decade and Australian yields pushing towards the highs they saw a few months ago as well. Of course, the drivers of this weakness are fairly similar for the most part to what we saw going into June. Obviously, inflation remains very high. That's keeping pressure on central banks to raise interest rates, and they've become progressively more bearish. And of course, that bearishness, the hawkishness from central banks is negative for shares for two reasons. Obviously, higher interest rates are negative for shares from a valuation perspective, and they make less shares less attractive in a relative sense. And also, higher interest rates increase the risk of recession, which in turn weighs on company profits. Of course, recession is now almost certain in Europe, particularly given their energy crisis. I reckon it's a 50% probability in the US. In Australia, the probability of recession is probably still less than 50%. I'd say around 40%. It's gone up, but of course that is predicated on our view that the cash rate peaks around 3% or maybe just below. But of course, if it rises to the 4.3% predicted in a year's time or in the middle of next year by money markets, then I think a recession would be almost probable here as well. Historically, deep bear markets in US and Australian shares have tended to be associated with the US recession. And I say that because in Australia, For a long time, between 1990 and the pandemic, we didn't have recessions, but we still had a few deep bear markets and they tended to come at times of US recession. So that's obviously critically important. On top of all of this, we've had fears of escalation of the Ukraine war after Russia's trip mobilization, the referendum to incorporate occupied territory into Russia, if you could call that a proper referendum, and of course, the threat to use nuclear weapons. And on top of all of this, we've got the ongoing tensions with China and the approaching midterm elections in the US, which probably not helping either. Of course, the UK has had its own issues. It announced a significant stimulus package late last week, along with significant uh, deregulation measures, almost channeling the policies of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, the supply side policies. Now, I reckon some of those things do have merit on a longer term basis, but the problem is they can take years to show up. And in the meantime, the UK economy doesn't have a lot of spare capacity. So the extra stimulus has just added to concerns about inflation, more hikes or more aggressive hikes from the Bank of England. And we've also seen increased concern about runaway public debt 
in the UK, all of which has seen bond yields in the UK surge dramatically, and we've seen a, a plunge in the value of the British pound. And of course, that's adding to a sense of crisis globally and then feeding back to global markets generally. Of course, on top of all of this, we're in a weak period of the year seasonally. September is known to be the weakest month of the year on average for shares, and October is known for volatility. And all of these things are coming together, I guess, to give the weakness we've been seeing in share markets. Now, from a purely technical point of view, you could argue that shares at around their June lows are oversold and also on technical support. And so we could see a bit of a bounce from here. And maybe we're starting to see some signs of that. But time will tell as to how sustained that will be. I think the broader risks beyond the prospect of any near-term bounce are on the downside. You could argue that while investor confidence is very negative, which is positive from a contrarian point of view, we yet to see the spike in put-call option ratios or the VIX or the fear index that normally signal major market bottoms. The Reserve Bank, I think, is fortunately starting to sound a bit more balanced, which is good news and aware of the way monetary policy impacts the economy with a lag. But the danger is that Fed and other central banks have become locked into supersized interest rate hikes based on backward-looking inflation jobs data and a loss of confidence in their ability to forecast inflation at a time when they should be giving more attention to the monetary policy lags. This, I think, increases the risk of an over-tightening, driving a deep recession with downgrades driving another leg down in share markets. Now, of course, a decisive break below the June low for US shares could probably open up another 10% or so leg down in share markets. And that would also flow through to the Australian share market, given the tendency for the US share market to lead. Now, of course, that all sounds fairly doom and gloom. Uh, it's uh, not good news. The good news, though, is that there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel if you take a 12-month view. And of course, some of these points I made in the podcast last week. But to run through them very quickly and to add a few, I think the fact that central banks are so determined to stop inflation becoming entrenched at high levels has to be seen as a good, good sign because it means we're not going to go back to the sort of problems we had in the 1970s. And if we did see that, that would certainly be bad for economies, jobs and investment markets, as I've pointed out in the past. So that to me is a good sign. The pipeline inflation indicator we have continues to decline. That suggests that we've probably seen the peak in US inflation and other countries will follow as the year progresses. On top of this, consumer inflation expectations have fallen in the US and Australia, which is good news. It means that the central banks probably don't have to raise rates as much as they did at the end of the 70s into the 80s to get inflation back down. Money supply growth has started to slow. Some would say that was a big drive of the surge in inflation going through 2021 and into 2022. And finally, it's just worth noting, and this was something I pointed out very early in the year, that midterm election years tend to be very rough for shares. It's a time in the US president cycle when they tend not to focus much on stimulating the economy. The president has another couple of years to go before he or she faces the electorate and policy tends to be relatively tight. So historically, the average drawdown in the US share market, if you go way back to 1950 in midterm election years, and this follows like clockwork every four years, the average drawdown top to bottom is 17%. But the good news is that the average gain from the bottom of that drawdown over the next 12 months is 33%. So that's an average drawdown of 78%, but following from the low, an average gain of 33%. And likewise, if you look at it from the date of the US midterm election, which is in November, the 12-month period from that has virtually always seen gains, if you go back to the 1950s. So that's all positive. So it's not all doom and gloom. Bottom line from all of this, I think, is that while short-term inflation pressures remain high, 
they do seem to be rolling over. And if the US has seen peak inflation, that at some point in the next few months, the Fed will become less hawkish, other central banks will eventually follow. And that in turn, I think will enable them to ease up on the break, hopefully in time to avoid a severe recession. Although it's debatable as to whether that will be possible in Europe, where the situation is a little bit different. Now, of course, in Australia, we are very hopeful that the Reserve Bank won't follow the Federal Reserve and become as hawkish as the Fed currently is, uh, for the simple reason that uh, Australian household sector is far more sensitive to higher interest rates than the US household sector is, because we have more debt and we have more of our borrowers on variable rates or exposed to short-term interest rates as opposed to the US when they tend to be on 30-year fixed mortgages. On top of that, inflationary pressures in Australia are somewhat lower. So this hopefully should see the Reserve Bank becoming a little less hawkish going forward. But the key point is that if we're right on the inflation indicators, then the pressure on the Fed will start to ease up and they should be able to become less hawkish as we go into the end of the year. For this reason, while we remain pretty cautious on shares for the short term, we remain optimistic on shares on a 12-month horizon. Now, of course, this is all about the outlook. And of course, we know that it is very, very hard to accurately predict economies and shares, particularly in the short term. Obviously, as we go through these periods, it is very difficult for investors. No one wants to see the value of their investments fall, whether it's via superannuation or not. That is not something that anyone wants to see. But I think given the difficulty in trying to predict economies and shares, it is very important in times like these to focus on basic investment principles. Now, as we've gone through this year, I've been through these things a few times, but I think it's just worth reiterating them. And there's seven key points that I think are particularly important to keep in mind in times like these. The first one is the share market pullbacks are healthy and normal. In many ways, I think the volatility we are seeing now, and we've seen on multiple occasions, I've seen it through my career on multiple occasions, starting particularly with the 1987 share market crash, where shares fell 50% in the space of a couple of months in Australia. But that volatility is the price we pay for higher returns that shares provide compared to other asset classes over long periods of time. So there's no free lunch out there. If you want a, uh, a stable return, then of course you've got to have your money in the bank or somewhere like that, but that return will be a lot lower. So if you want the high returns that over time will grow wealth, then you have to go with growth assets like shares and occasionally they have these pullbacks. Second point is that it's very hard to time market moves. So I think the key is to stick to an appropriate long-term investment strategy rather than getting blown off by cyclical swings. Third point, selling shares after a fall locks in a loss. This may seem obvious, but uh, many people do it. Fourth point, share pullbacks provide opportunities for investors to buy them more cheaply. They also boost the potential return from share markets. So even if you don't buy into them and just let your superannuation do the dollar cost averaging that the Australian superannuation system does, then you are picking up markets and shares um, providing more attractive longer term returns. Fifth point, shares invariably bottom when everyone is bearish. They're not going to bottom when everyone is telling you to buy. They're usually going to bottom when everyone is telling you that they're selling. So that's always worth bearing in mind. And commentators also get bearish at the bottom. If it was the other way around, it wouldn't work out. If everyone was already bullish, you can't expect markets to go up when that's the case. You really require a lot of bearishness for markets to go back up. And that's usually what happens. Shares bottom at the point of maximum bearishness. Six points, Australian shares still offer an attractive income or cash flow relative to bank deposits. Now, this, of course, is the dividend yield. It is under some pressure now because the huge dividends being paid by resources companies will be cut back a bit. 
And we already started to see some signs of that through the most recent profit reporting season. But even after they get cut back, once you allow for franking credits, that cash flow, that dividend income flow, will still be pretty attractive relative to bank deposits. Finally, and this is the seventh point, to avoid getting thrown off an appropriate long-term investment strategy, I think it's very important to turn down the noise. The noise these days is all embracing. We have news updates on our phones all over the place. That can be very distracting and a lot of that news flow is quite negative because we all know that if you want to get a click, you have a negative news story, not a positive one. And that, of course, adds to a negative mindset. So the key, I think, is to follow those seven key principles. Recognize that share market pullbacks are normal and healthy. They're not that unusual. Recognize that it's very hard to time market moves, stick to a long-term strategy. Recognize that selling shares after a decline just locks in a loss. Recognize that share pullbacks provide opportunities for investors. Recognize that shares invariably bottom with a point of maximum bearishness. And also remember that Australian shares are still offering a pretty attractive income yield, but the key is always to turn down the noise. So I hope that's been of some value. All the best. Until we meet again, adios. Now to stay up to date from Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series more broadly, be sure to subscribe on your favourite streaming platform. That way you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back soon. But before we go, a quick reminder that all topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. It's important you consider taking tailored financial advice that is relevant to your own situation before making any important financial decisions.